Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Protecting yourself out there in the cyber world is more important than ever. And there are things you can do that are not difficult to safeguard yourself. I'm Patrice Sikora with Foster and Motley's Emily Diaz to talk about those steps. So, Emily, cybersecurity is all over the news. But talk to me about what Foster and Motley does and what you recommend clients do. Sure. Well, thanks for having me back, Patrice. And this has certainly been a big focus for us. Um, since we work with clients' financial data every day, it's been a big focus for our IT team and, and our security providers. Um, so, you know, our message here is not fear mongering, but when clients do have, you know, fraud events or there are security breaches of the latest, you know, retail or, or what it may be, you know, it, it can be a huge hassle to clean up. So thankfully there are some proactive steps that both we and our clients can take uh, to try to protect their data. I know uh, we did a, I know we did an episode with Zach and Pat uh, and Joe. Oh gosh, last year or whatever. And that had a lot of in-depth stuff, but give us a really good this is what you need to be doing and this is what we're doing. Sure. Uh, yeah, so their episode is great, went into a lot of detail. Um, so I'll just highlight three points or so um, from there. So, uh, you know, folks can go back and listen to that if they want more details. Um, and then we'll go into some new tips and tricks today. So one of the most important things client can, clients can do is to freeze their credit. Uh, this is a proactive measure. So unlike credit monitoring, which will tell you more uh, retroactively, you know, if something has happened, you know, if, you know, your credit has been compromised, um, the credit freeze is proactive. So it prevents anyone from opening a new line of credit in your name. Do you so, have to do that individually with each of the credit reporting agencies or can you do it yes. once for everybody? Yeah, you have to do it individually with each bureau. Um, it, it takes some time, but most of them have online processes and uh, used to cost a few bucks, but now it's free. So uh, there's really no barrier to doing it other than, you know, it, it takes some time. And what about um, passwords? Yes. And I used I, to be, a I find these to be a real pain in the neck. I'll tell you that right now. Me too. I used to be a horrible <laughs> offender of this. You know, we all know that we're supposed to use unique passwords for all of our, you know, hundreds of different sites that we use and we're supposed to change them regularly. Um, and, and it's just overwhelming uh, for most of us. But um, a few years ago, um, I started using uh, personally the password manager that we've started using um, as a firm at Foster and Motley. Um, and I found that to be a total game changer because now it stores all of my passwords securely. So I have one master password that I use to log into that. That's the only one I have to remember. And then it remembers the rest for me. It can autofill them in my browser. And so what I found is that it's easier now for me to make my passwords unique and to change them. So if a retailer that I used found that they had some kind of breach, um, it's really easy for me to then go change all of my banking passwords and such and just do that proactively because they're all there. I know what they all are. It's really easy. I'm not trying to remember them all and then you know, be worried that I'm going to forget one. So that's something that we would definitely encourage uh, everyone to look into if they don't have well, it already. I could throw out my little book with all my passwords written down. Yes. <laughs> right, or the sticky note next to the That's computer right. monitor. Yep. Okay, go ahead. 
Um, and, and the final takeaway from their episode would be being sensitive with what you email. So, um, you know, just a regular old email is not particularly secure. So uh, if you're transmitting things like social security numbers, uh, financial account numbers, uh, dates of birth, those kinds of things really should never be sent in just a regular email or an attachment. And we have tools in place that clients can upload information to us securely so that it's encrypted and uh, we don't have to worry about the sensitive nature of the contents. What about signing up for security alerts at, at your bank or your credit union? Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, of course. And and Schwab offers the services. So Charles Schwab is the custodian that we use for our clients' accounts. So they can sign up for security alerts. So, you know, for example, if money is moved from their account, they'll get an email. Um, And so then that's just a nice proactive way that they know, you know, if if anything's going on, they'll hear about it. You can also set up uh, what's called two-factor or sometimes it's called dual-factor or multi-factor authentication. So um, for example, for me to log into my personal Charles Schwab account, I need my password, but then it'll also send a code uh, via text message or a call to my cell phone, or there's also an app that I have on my phone. And so to be able to to log in, I have to have um, both this this two-factor code and uh, my password. So just an additional layer of security um, is really helpful. I'm sure it sounds like it's cumbersome, but I I use the same thing, uh, you know, the dual uh, authentication. And it just gives you that much more a sense of security, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. like I say, it is cumbersome sometimes and it's a pain in the neck, but you know that very likely nobody else is going to get through this. Right. And that's the case with most of these things. You know, they're they're cumbersome. They're annoying. Uh, we don't always like to do it. You know, it's like eating our vegetables and flossing our teeth. You know, we, we don't like to have to change our passwords and deal with codes sent to our cell phones to log into things and all of that. But kind of once it, once you, you know, start building these little habits, it kind of becomes second nature, you know, oh, I got an email, you know, the social security number to my advisor. Oh yeah. I should just take the couple extra clicks to send that securely um, instead of just putting it in an email. How about some other tips? Sure. So, you know, as we're here kind of on the heels of tax day, uh, the IRS offers a program called the Identity Protection PIN. Um, and so what that is, the, they'll send you a, a letter, uh, typically in January at the start of tax season, with a, and no one can file electronically file your tax return without that PIN. So this helps to prevent fraudulent tax returns. So what the bad guys can do is if they get a hold of your social security number and your information, they can file a fraudulent tax return in your identity. So they'll make up you know, income and, and such on your return and then take the refund and have it deposited to their account. Um, and then when we then go to you know, file our, or the client goes to file their tax return, they'll get a, an error message saying, sorry, we've already had a tax return filed in this social security number. That's not good. No, it's not good. And there there is good news and that the clients can still file their real return. They can still get their refund if they're due one, but it's a hassle. Uh, They have to print out the return, get it signed by them and their CPA. And then now that the IRS has had such a backlog, particularly after the pandemic, it's it takes a long time for them to get through. So it, it's just a lot more steps and can cause a big 
delay in, in getting the refund back. So this identity protection pin used to only be available uh, to people that were victims of identity theft. Um, but in the last year, the IRS has expanded that. So now anyone can apply for this. So the good news is that if you apply for this program, only you know the person who has this pin can file a, a tax return for you. So you definitely need to remember to keep track of it. You know, look for that letter when it comes in the mm -hmm. mail. Remember to tell your tax preparer all of those good things. <laughs> and, and I must um, say that for the first time, I really, I paid attention to that. My accountant sent all the stuff for filing and there was a note in there. If you have a pin number, make sure you include it. I'm thinking a pin number. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that anybody can now sign up for this. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, it's really great um, now that, that anyone can take advantage of it. The only downside is with most of these is that it takes some time and effort to sign up. You can do it on the IRS's website, but it's a pretty rigorous screening process and just identity verification sure. process. Cause obviously they want to make sure that it's really the taxpayer that's uh, applying for that. All right. How about internet use? Yes. Well, you know, there's always new things that seems to be coming out to, to watch out for. So, you know, we, I think we know not to click on the emails that say, you know, a Nigerian prince is here to send you some money, click here. But, you know, just again, you know, a little habits just to have the antennas up are helpful. Um, so around the holidays, especially, we just saw tons more texts and emails with things like, you know, your package is on the way, click here. And, you know, so just being aware, you know, if, if you're, if you think you might've ordered something, you know, go log into Amazon or Target or, you know, whatever retailer it is, use that to check your tracking info. Don't just click on a, a text or an email. Yeah. You know, that, that there's just so many more places. And again, once you're aware of it, so our IT guys were reminding us, you know, as employees of this around the holidays, it, it kind of becomes second nature. You know, again, it takes a little more time to log in or go into the app, but, you know, it's certainly better than clicking on something if you don't know it's legitimate. And we're also seeing occasionally now with QR codes being posted, you know, so you take a picture with your phone and it takes you to the website, especially if those are out pub uh, publicly posted, you know, outside of you know restaurants or with promotional info. In theory, someone could come along and alter that QR code such that it takes you to a different website, not really the website for that retailer or restaurant or whatever. So again, just being careful, it's always better to just go to the direct website if you, uh, if you can, rather than kind of take the, the quick fix and, and just clicking on something if you're not quite sure what the source is. Now, public Wi-Fi, I mean, that's been a, a red flag forever and ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what um, our security provider shared with us uh, recently, and I'll mention too that they did a cybersecurity webinar series, a couple of them, once a couple of years ago, and then they did another one last year. So there's a lot of great info out there too that, that folks can listen to. But they pointed out that your data on your cell phone is, is always secure. So if in doubt, most of us have data plans now, so it's, it's better to just rely on that than the public Wi-Fi. And then, you know, for those of us that work in, you know, financial professions, you know, if we need Needed to access Wi-Fi when we're traveling or something, you know, we have VPNs and, and other layers, but, you know, just go down to the local coffee shop and hop on a public Wi-Fi network and then log into my bank kind of thing. So just right. antennas up. Or, or, or go online and order something with a credit card. Yep. Yep. All right. Then we've got uh, social media sharing. 
hello, I think a lot of people do this. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's so easy because sometimes we, you know, we think, oh, I'm just sharing this with friends and family and not realizing that sometimes things are more public. And um, one thing that we've noticed more often now with all of these, you know, identity verification processes is that they're relying on driver's license information um, to be able to confirm your identity. So for example, now in the state of Ohio for the last few years, they've required you to uh, submit your driver's license number and information uh, when you file your tax return. And then they cross-reference with the BMV records to try to cut down on fraud, um, which is great. But you know, now the more that that driver's license number is used to verify your identity, it's kind of becoming like a social security number or a date of mm-hmm. birth in terms of its importance to protect. So you know, certainly if you do need to share your driver's license for something, send it securely. You know, we, We've got those tools in place and then just being aware. You've got a 16-year-old, a, family member that gets their driver's license might not want to post a picture of them with their license on social media. Or if you do, you know, just strategically, you know, place the hand around the license to protect all (laughs) of the important info. So again, none of this is particularly hard or earth shattering, just ways to kind of be aware of what's important and and easy steps to protect it. All right. This is all, you know, internet in the ether, wherever, through your computer. (laughs) But what about when you've got a hard copy of something? You've got to yeah. be just as careful these days, don't you? We do. Um, right. So we, we don't want to neglect that either. So, you know, we do offer shredding. So if we have clients that have old statements or information that they need to get rid of, you know, don't just throw it away. We, you know, bring it to us. We can help make sure that that gets shredded and, and securely disposed of. And often now we're finding that online transactions um, are just as secure, if not more so. So, you know, as we just were finishing tax season, we had a lot of clients making their tax payments online. You know, you can go onto the IRS's website or or whatever state it may be and make payments there. And then you you know that you've logged in securely, uh, you get a confirmation number for your payment. You need, don't need to worry about checks getting lost in the mail or, or, or mislaid. And then, you know, a lot of times too, we're having people, if they have online access, say to Schwab, we'll ask them, hey, do you really need those paper statements coming to you every month? And sometimes they'll say, oh no, I, then I got to figure out what to do with it. You know, I don't, don't just want to throw it away. I got to then remember to shred it. And, you know, so then we can make sure that those get suspended just so there's fewer pieces of information with their account numbers and, you know, and sensitive info floating out there. But here's a question for you in that respect. How many people actually, when they get the notification, there's an online statement available for you. How many of them actually go and look at it? Whereas when you get it in the mail, a paper, generally, I think you at least skim it. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons some people will say, no, I still like my paper. It forces me to look at it. Probably not that many uh, actually look at Schwab statements, but that's also why, at least for our clients, we've also developed an app that's a portal that's read only. So people can go out and look at information in real time when they want to get reports and it aggregates everything all together. Because the other thing that we found is that by the time the statements go out in the mail, the data is stale. So particularly if we've got a, you know, a rocky market, um, you might want to log in today to know how your accounts are doing. And so we've tried to make more things that are just user-friendly so that you'd say, oh, I want to know how I'm doing. I don't want to read through a, you know, 30 page long statement from, you know, a bank or a financial institution. I just kind of want to get to the net number. Um, And so we've tried to make tools that are more user-friendly so that people actually want to engage and look at it rather than deal with the, the long statements. Now, you mentioned mailing checks, but let's talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, that was actually a big focus this spring. Um, we had reports from some local police offices that they were having checks stolen from some of the drop boxes at our local post office down the road, uh, which is particularly problematic at tax time, you know, when people are mailing checks. And we did have a, you know, a couple of clients have issues where, you know, someone got a hold of their check and changed the payee and the dollar amount. And then it was just a big headache to work with their bank or and get it all cleaned up. So, you know, at that point, the local police had actually advised people not to put checks in the drop boxes, but to take them into the post office to make sure that they were received by an employee and, and secure in there. And so again, that's kind of where some of the, you know, online tax payments, you know, whatever can be done online, you know, provided that it, you've got good passwords and, you know, all that good security in place can actually be, you know, more secure, but, you know, sometimes we do still have to mail checks for things. And, and so in that case, you know, again, we, we don't want to be afraid, you know, some people said, oh gosh, well, if I can't mail a check, what can I do? Well, we just have to be smart about it. Try not to take unnecessary risks and maybe don't put your check in there the night before and let it sit there overnight out in the post office parking lot in the box. Just try to go the extra mile, take it in person the next day. And then, you know, this is also where the security alerts can be helpful. So, you know, with banks or, you know, financial institutions like Schwab, you can set things up so that if you've got certain transactions or over a certain dollar amount, they'll notify you. And so then waiting for paper statements, you know, waiting for your bank statement to come the next month, you know, more in real time um, if anything has happened. Right, right, right. And, and I, where I live, I can put my mail out in my mailbox way down at the end of the driveway put the little flag up and the mail carrier comes up and picks it up <laughs> but you're absolutely right don't put it out the night before it's sitting out there if there is a check out there it's with a little red flag there. telling everyone hey there's something in here right <laughs> i didn't even think of that part yeah you're, you're right there hello i'm here come and get me no don't do that so you're right don't put it in the mail the drop box if you need to go to the post office there you mm -hmm. go. You know, it's great for birthday cards, but maybe not for checks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Speaking of the Postal Service, informed yes. delivery. Yeah. So this is another tool that you can sign up. So the, as the post office processes mail every day, they are scanning what comes through as part of their sorting process. So you can go out to the post office's website and sign up for uh, daily emails. So they will send you basically a picture of what they've scanned that's coming to your mailbox out for delivery that day. So for example, if you're waiting for a check in the mail or, you know, something important, you'll know, you know, you, you'll get an email that morning as part of the sorting process. And then you'll know, Hey, I you know need to make sure that I get my mail on time this week or um, send a, a friend or family member or someone to go out and get it. If you're not going to be there on time. Um, again, it's, it's pretty easy to, to go out there and sign up for it. And, you know, it can give folks a little more peace of mind if they're ever concerned about getting uh, to, to check their mail on time. That sounds like a great service. How can you sign up for that? Is that online too, I guess? Yep. Yep. It's on the post office's website. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Emily, all solid, solid information here. Are there some resources that we will have in the show notes that Foster and Motley offers? Uh, yes, we will. So you can be looking for those links in the notes. Absolutely. They will be there. And how can listeners reach you? Great question. Um, you can find us on our website, which is fosterandmotley.com. And then we've got all of our contact info there. So you can reach out to us uh, via message or uh, give us a call as well. Thank you, Emily. Everybody else, be safe out there. For the latest Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth, be sure to follow us and share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora, 
and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.